We're going to be back in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. So please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 27 through 36. And so please stand as we hear God's Word for God's people. Love your enemies. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto the path, in our path. And not only the, the joyous, good passages, but also the difficult passages. So I pray today that this body, the Crossing Church, those who are called by Your name, that we would be doers of Your Word and not just merely hearers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. Well, a man reached his 100th birthday. And the news department said, hey, we, we want to go interview this guy. Maybe we can learn the secret of life. And so the interview, the reporter goes out and he interviews this guy and he says, what are you most proud of? You reached 100 years on this earth. What are you most proud of? And the man said, well, I don't have an enemy in this world. And the interviewer says, oh, how inspiring. That's awesome. How inspirational. What a beautiful thing. How did you do that? How did you accomplish that? Not having an enemy in this world. And the man said, I outlived every single one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this morning we are getting back into the Gospel of Luke. And so far we've seen King Jesus come on the scene. He's bringing in a a new culture, a new kingdom uh, to be established here on earth. He's bringing heaven to earth. Oh, we've seen King Jesus was promised. Uh, King Jesus then came and was born. King Jesus began to seek and save the lost. In Luke chapter 4, He came proclaiming the good news and setting the captives free. Free the oppressed through healings and miracles, but most importantly, through the Gospel. King Jesus chose His disciples. Now, back in Luke chapter 6, we see King Jesus is again setting a new culture for His people the culture of the kingdom of heaven, how His citizens, those Christians, you and me who've named the name of Christ, how we are to now live out the attitudes and the commandments and the characteristics of His kingdom to be a light to a world that needs it so desperately. And this morning, 
Jesus calls us not to outlive our enemies, but to love them. To love them. Look at verse 27. First we see the commandment of the kingdom is love. This is the the general foundational commandment of the kingdom that informs all other commandments. It is love. Verse 27, But I, Jesus, say to you who hear, love your enemies. Now, as you saw, we just we stand up and we read God's word. And and Joanna, this is the word of the Lord. And typically we hear a lot of amens and thanks be to God, but for some reason this morning we didn't hear too many of those, right? Why do you think that is? Because we know this is difficult. When Jesus says, Hey, love your enemies, not so much like we're not saying amen, we're like, no way, right? It's difficult. It's, it's not natural for us, apart from Christ, the gospel. It's unnatural for us to love our enemies. It's unnatural for us to, to love those who dislike us or, or hate us. And then, but not only just to love them, but then with the other commands do good, bless them, pray for them, be generous to them. Do not retaliate against them. It, it takes me back to my days when I used to watch the show Different Strokes, you know? I wanted to be like, what you talking about, Jesus? You know, what you talking about, Willis? To this command. This is not natural to us. Now the thing about these difficult passages, we can't interpret them isolated by themselves. They're in a context. We need to take these commands in view of all of Scripture as well. Jesus is using figures of speech. He's using social context and literary devices to get across broader points than what we might see here. For instance, take a look at, at verses 29 and 30. Verses 29 and 30. This is what it says in verses 29 and 30. It says, at the 29b, And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes your goods, and do not demand them back. <clears throat> and so, if we take these command in a strict wooden literal interpretation, if we give all the way all of our clothes, if we give away all of our goods to everyone that asks, then what do we have? We have naked, homeless people that have nothing to, to give themselves or to give their gifts to further the kingdom of God. So Jesus is making a point, saying something even maybe more different than that. The broader point, which is be generous. Be generous to your enemies. Because in their culture and in our culture, what is the mantra? What are we called to do to our enemies? Cancel them. Right? Disrespect them. Destroy them. Embarrass them. Do whatever you can to hurt them or harm them. That is what the world says to do to your enemies. Just pick up a news feed and read the headlines. People are at each other's throat. You want to cancel your enemy, but the kingdom ethic that Jesus is bringing back then and to us today is love and be generous to your enemies. And how you show that generosity, how you show that love will differ, listen, will differ on circumstances and the situation you find yourself in. It doesn't mean give everything away, but it might mean give everything away. You need to have the Holy Spirit inform you, guide you, direct you, His Word and others in the community. So this is a difficult passage. Again, the context here, Luke, Jesus is preaching His sermon. He's preaching to His disciples, to Christians. The ones who hear in verse 27 are the ones He called back in verse 20. So He's talking first to His disciples to, to take be the ambassadors of their kingdom, but it's also to us. And these Christians 
are also, the primary context is they're being persecuted. It's persecution for your faith. Look at verse 22 of Luke chapter 6. Here's the context in which these commands are given. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil. Why? On the account of the Son of Man. Because of Jesus. Because you and I follow Jesus. Because we are living and proclaiming the good news of the Gospel, the commandments of Scripture. People are going to say, that guy's a evil. He's a bigot. He's narrow-minded. That's the context in which these commands are given. So these commandments, Jesus is calling you and I as Christ's followers, when we are persecuted for our faith on behalf of Jesus, the tip of our spear is not retaliation, is not hate, it is love. It is love in word and deed. Look again at verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. And, and, when, and when Jesus is proclaiming that to the for people that when they first heard that, even to us, that, that would have been the shell shock for them to hear that. They would have been stunned to hear that come from a Jewish rabbi. Because in their culture, the Jewish rabbis taught this, Matthew 5.43, you have heard it said, Jesus said, you shall love your neighbors and what? Hate your enemies. That's what was coming from the rabbis of the day. And to that, we would even say, yes and amen. So would the people. But Jesus says to you, love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Bless your enemies. Do good to your enemies. It's a crazy thought. So the question for you and me is like, when we're being persecuted on behalf of Jesus, when we're out there in the public arena standing up for marriage between a man and a woman, standing up for not letting biological men compete in women's sports, when we stand up and we share that and we're being persecuted, the question is, how is it possible for us to love those that come against us? that are enemies, that hate us, that disrespect us, that revile us, that even want to do harm to us. How is it possible to love them? Because we've experienced that kind of love already. We have experienced this kind of love. This is the, the love how Jesus has loved you and me. And this is where we always begin with these kind of difficult commands. We always begin with the gospel. We always begin looking back at our own lives and seeing how the Lord has dealt with us. And he has dealt with you and me. When we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. He has shown us this kind of love, how to love his enemies. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us that while we're still enemies, sinners, haters of God, wanting nothing to do with God, Christ died for us. Not only did He do that, not only do we experience that love, but then those of us that bent our knees to Him and received Christ as Lord and Savior, He shed abroad that love in our hearts. The fruit of the Holy Spirit indwelling you and me is love. He's given it. He's poured that kind of love into you and me. Romans 5.5, 5, just before 5.8, it says this, because God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit, we can now go and love others, including our enemy, just as Christ has loved us. We are to love others. First John 4, 7 says this, everyone who loves God is what? Born of God. Everyone who does not love God is not born of God. Why? Because God is love. 
Christians prove that they are followers of Christ by the way we love others. In particular, our enemies, because that is how God first loved you and me. And don't we say experience is the best teacher, right? We've experienced the love of God. It has been our greatest teacher so that we can go and love others. And here's the deal. When we go out and do that, when we start to love our enemies, when we start to do good to them, bless them, and, and while they're persecuting us, that might kind of twick something off in their, in their mind, in their brain, be like, whoa, what? I mean, I knew you were weird, but now you're really weird because I'm hating you. I'm trying to hurt you. And you should respond by fighting, by fighting back, but yet you're responding by love, that might, that might throw them off a little bit because they know that's not the natural response. It seems to be unnatural. There must be something else going on in that person to have you respond like that. So it might po- cause them to pause and ask the question, how can you do that? It's not natural. And you, might, you just might win them over by loving them and not hating them back. Abraham Lincoln said this. He obviously knew a little thing, knew a little thing about being persecuted. And even being persecuted for Christ, he said this, we can destroy our enemies when we make them our friends. We can destroy our enemies when we make them our friends. In other words, when we take an enemy and we can love them to our seeing, our side, and becoming our friend and accepting our values. That's how we destroy an enemy. So we can destroy an enemy through love. Verse 27 again, but, you say, but, I, <clears throat> but I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Verse 28, bless those who curse you. In this one, pray for those who abuse you. I want to just pause and, and point this one out for a second. Because when we hear that word abuse, there's a lot of things that can come to mind. And I want to be clear on what Jesus is not saying. Again, this is in the context of being persecuted as a Christian. So what Jesus is not saying is He's not saying if someone is abusing you physically, the only thing you do for them is pray for them. That's the proper response. If you're being abused physically, oh, just start praying for them. That's not what Jesus is saying. If someone is physically abusing you, you fight back. You flee. You report it to the police. You bring it to the courts for justice. You see that in other portions of Scripture. You're allowed to protect yourself, self-defense. This is not what Jesus is saying when He says pray for those who abuse you. And this is where we want to point out what a right response is. Now you might later on pray for those that are abusing you. That's possible. And we want to encourage that. There has to be a category for that. Let me give you an example. A handful of Easter's ago, uh, I received the number of verbal, we'll say verbal assaults, abuses from an individual through text messages and emails and phone calls. And, and he didn't really like me. And he didn't like Jesus. And he didn't like the crossing. So let me read you uh, one of the text messages I got. And this one, I got this on Easter. Easter morning, I woke up to this text. Beware the zombie Jesus. Today he is reborn. No longer a man of peace and love for fellow man. Instead, he craves brains. Preferably those lacking the ability to think for themselves. Close the door in his face or just turn away. Do not give him tithings or he will just ask for more. And most likely buy a sports car, do drugs, and sleep with gray prostitutes. Who wants to be a pastor in here? Go ahead, raise your hand. Right? 
Now, we don't always get things like this, but we do sometimes. And my response at the beginning was foolish, fleshly. Had to confess it, but then composed myself by the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and I emailed him back or text messaged him back, and I said, I'm sorry you feel this way towards myself and the church and Jesus in particular. I will pray for you. Now, in a perfect world, he would have been like, oh, thank you, but that just ticked him off even that much more. And I got way more things that I cannot read from this pulpit. But that's okay. My, my, we're called not to rely on the response and change the response of the individual hating us. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to overcome evil with good. And prayer can be a part of that. Because, listen, have you ever heard of an enemy responding with joy to follow King Jesus when we harm them back? When we throw insults back? Have you, ever, have you ever seen that? When two people are fighting and all of a sudden someone has a revelation and comes to Jesus? No. We haven't seen that. That's not the way to win someone to Jesus is by harming them or hurting them. The way to win someone to Jesus is to love them. It's to bless them. It's to do good to them. It's to pray for them. It's to be generous for them. I have seen when those actions, and that is the attitude of the one being hated, I have seen, you have seen individuals come to Jesus. Come to the King, repent and believe. Doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes it does. We're not responsible for how the individual responds to us. We're responsible to follow King Jesus, and we're being persecuted for on, on behalf of Him. We're called to pray for them, love them, serve them, be generous. So again, have a category, but not just have a category for this type of action. Live it out. Implement it in your life. Make it tangible to your enemy that they feel the love of God when they're coming at you. This is the heart of the Bible. We see this throughout Scripture. Exodus 23, when it says, if you see your enemy's ox just roaming the street, running off, what do you do? You're called to get that ox and return it back to him. So when you see your neighbor's ox running around out there today, go ahead and return it back to him today. Maybe not an ox, maybe a dog, right? Return their dog. Paul says in Romans 12, he says, if your enemy is hungry, what are we called to do? Feed him. If he's thirsty, what are we called to do? Give him something to drink. Again, love meets needs in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Even your enemy's needs. Even my enemy's needs. Look at verse 29. Jesus continues and He says, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Again, what is Jesus not saying? He's not saying you can't exercise self-defense in certain situations. Again, this is again persecution happening to you because of your faith in Christ. So if someone breaks into your house, you don't say like, oh, hey, 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 come on in, I'm a Christian. Uh, go ahead and slap me on the cheek because I'm a Christian and I want to follow the command. Oh, and here's my other one, you know. Don't let them pull a Will Smith on a Chris Rock on you, all right? All right? That was funny. You guys can go ahead and laugh. That was good. <laughs> Thank you, Will Smith, for that illustration, by the way. I heard a great story, a funny story this week, about an Irish boxer who became a preacher. After one Sunday, there were three individuals, three anti-Christians that came up and wanted to mock him and actually caused him physical harm. One of them punched him in the face. And so he turned the other cheek and he punched him again in the face. And then after that, the, the preacher knocked all three of them out. And this is what he said. Jesus said, if someone hits you, turn the other cheek. 
And they hit you again, but after that, Jesus gave no further instruction. <laughs> yes and amen to that one. But again, context is king. And what is context here? When someone slapped you in the face in Jesus' time, it was not necessarily a, a fight. It was more of disrespect. They were dishonoring you. In fact, a lot of Christians would get backhand or slapped in the face from other Jewish peoples because they believed in Jesus and that because they believed in Jesus, they were no longer allowed to come in and worship in their synagogue. And the one way they would show the world or show the other congregants is they would slap the individual in the face and disrespect them. That's what's happening here, what Jesus is saying. So if you and I get publicly humiliated because we follow Jesus, if we get disrespected in public because we are responding with the truth and the gospel to a world that does not want to hear it, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Jesus says, don't retaliate. Tit for tat. Don't start throwing insults back at them. Love them. See, Jesus, again, shows us His example. He died the most disrespectful and most humiliating death that anyone could have died. He died on the cross for you and for me. And what, what was His response? He could have called down millions of angels to protect Him, but He didn't. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When Jesus was reviled, He did not revile in return. 1 Peter 3.9 says, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless those. And for this, you were called that you might be a blessing. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to turn the other cheek when we're being disrespected or dishonored. So loving our enemies means that when they hate us for, again, proclaiming the Gospel, the good news of Christ, or the principles in Scripture, that we love them in return. It means as much as possible that we stop the crazy cycle of hate. We stop the crazy cycle of retaliation. We stop the crazy cycle of revenge. We live differently in the kingdom of heaven and we need to show the world that we are different. And there is a different and better way and that is love. Now here's the thing about loving your enemies. It doesn't mean that you assent and agree to everything that they are spewing. That you don't say like, hey, yeah, these, what you're saying, these sinful passionate desires that you want to yoke on us that are unbiblical, that are sinful, that lead to a death and destruction. It doesn't mean that we, we say, yeah, come on in, bring those in. No, we stand for the truth. But we stand in grace. We respond in grace. The key is that when we see the enemy come against us, that we should see them first not as an enemy, but we should see them as one who bears the image of God because that's who they are. And our response should be that of love because that's what God first has done for you and for me. Stephen was the perfect example. You, we, we can talk about Jesus, but there's something in our mind that goes, yeah, but Jesus was the God-man. He was perfect. He's like on a different level than us. I, yes, he is. Stephen, on the other hand, the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 7, being stoned to death because of his faith. He could have fled. He could have ran. He could have fought back. But what did he do? He gave up his life as a witness for Christ. And as they were stoning him, this is what he said in Acts chapter 7. He said, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That's a kingdom citizen response for Stephen in that moment. And we can do the same. Look at verse 31. We have the golden rule. 
In verse 31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And in Henderson's commentary on this passage, in Jesus' day, uh, the golden rule was around, but it was primarily said or given in the negative connotation. And as you look back throughout history, you see great philosophers and thinkers like uh, Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates say that the, the golden rule, but they, they usually said it negatively. One of the great rabbis back then, uh, Hillel, said this, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. So he, he puts it in the negative way. And this is, this is how we parent our kids. You know, if, if, if my kid, JT, comes up to me and, and says like, you know, hey, Nate kicked me. And he's tattling on his brother, Nate. So I say, well, why did he kick you? He says, well, I kicked him first. And I said, oh, well, if you don't want him to kick you, then you don't kick him first, right? It's in the negative. It's, it's self-preservation. But Jesus states it in the positive. In the negative, it's all about self-protection, self-preservation, not getting kicked. But here, Jesus puts it on the, in the positive. He puts it on the offensive. Look at it in the offensive. And as you wish others would do to you, do to them. So you're proactive. You're proactive in doing good to them. Why? So that they would do good to you. It's proactive. It's on the positive side. This is the attitude of a Christ follower. To be a blessing to those around them. To feel the, the love and the grace and the mercy of God through your words and through your deeds to them. In fact, there is one uh, pastor who... who gives this kind of command to his body. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can see his logic. He says, before you tell anyone you're a Christian, you go out and bless them and do good to them three times. And then after that third time, you bless them and you do something good to them, then you tell them you're a Christian. Now we say, like, tell them you're a Christian so that they can watch your life and they can see you do good to them. And then that might just in turn, they might just reciprocate that back to you. I love how Jesus do, does it. We, when we go to man school, we go to CB and Potts. And there's servers there. We get, you know, 30, 40 guys, and the servers are running around serving their, you know, their little tails off to, to serve us. And we have one, one rule for man school, and that is to be a blessing to those serving us. And when, when it comes time to, to, you know, pay the bill, we say, be generous with your tip. Be generous with your tip. Bless them. Why? Because every waiter has had that Christian that was served and the Christian would just leave him a track on the table, right? That's the worst way you can be a witness for Jesus. We want to be a blessing to those. And you know what? After that, the, lady, the, the gals that were serving us, they are like, hey, what church do you guys go to? <laughs> you guys were a blessing. You guys are always a blessing. In fact, when's the next time you're coming? Because I want to serve you guys again. Why? Because she was blessed. Because that's what Christians do. We do good to others. So who in your life this week can you be a blessing to? That you can live out the golden rule this week to them right now. Now, that was point one. Point two is going to be a lot shorter. The exam, Amen. <laughs> The example of the kingdom is the mercy of God the Father. And it is, amen. The reason why this is shorter, because it's the mercy of God that allows us to love others. Look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, 
what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Now all that is good. This is all good. It's what we call common grace. God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. This is, this is good. But simply put, what Jesus is saying, that if we have been transformed by the Gospel, by God's love, by God's mercy in our lives, it should make us look different than the world. And we see it should make us look different when people come to us and ask us for things or to do things for them. I love what J. Oswald Sanders said. He said this, he said, the Master expects from His disciples such conduct as can be explained only in terms of the supernatural. Isn't that good? Those who love those who love them back, anyone can do that. That's what Jesus is saying. But those who love those who can't or won't love them back, that's a little different. That takes a different attitude. That takes a different posture. As one said, I love this, this illustration. When someone does that, gives, serves, loves to someone who can't or won't, it's like a flower growing out of the sidewalk. It's like a flower growing out of cement. You're like, how does a flower grow out of cement? Because God can do whatever He wants. I want to end this next illustration I was going to share that with this illustration with you, but I decided to show you. It's a video. My daughter Madison, as you guys know, is in college. She's going to, to school out in Jacksonville, and we found her a great church there. It's called the Church of 1122, right? Church of 1122, that's their name. Weird name, great church, right? Um, they got like nine campuses, 20,000 uh, members, but they showed this testimony at their service this last Easter. It's 15 minutes long. We're not, it's not going to be a 15 minute long. We've condensed it to six minutes. We're going to put the full link on Realm. But I couldn't do it justice. This, to me, is the best illustration of the Gospel that I've ever heard or seen outside of Jesus Himself. And so I thought we'd share it with you. This is what it looks like to love our enemies. It can only be explained in terms of the supernatural mercy of God first working in our lives. So let me set up this, the, the, the video, and then we'll get into it. Ike Brown was a police officer for only 30 plus years in Jacksonville. Um, he had five children. One of those children was his oldest, Ike Jr. Ike Jr. was at a, one of his friend's house when he was about 21 years old. They were playing video games. There was another individual there named Takoya Griner. And as Ike Jr. and his friends were playing video games, Takoya was sitting in the back and took out a gun and executed them all while they were playing the games. Three years later, the trial began, and this is where the clip um, begins. I always said that if you hurt one of my children, that I wanted to get you. I wanted, I wanted you to hurt like I was hurting. I wanted you to die. 
I convinced myself that's what God wanted. He wanted me to, he made me, you know, he gave me these feelings and emotions, and I meant that. And all of a sudden, you know, my son is gone. And I walk in that courtroom and I see Takoya, the young man who, who killed my son and his best friend. And I'm telling you, for the moment I laid eyes on him, I loved it. I couldn't, and I can't explain it. Uh, never hated him. Uh, never had those feelings I thought I was going to have. It never transpired. You know, when I looked at him, he, he looked like my boys, you know, just bigger. I, I questioned God but I questioned him about me, you know. I asked God what was wrong with me, you know. Why didn't, why didn't I hate him? Why didn't I, why didn't I have all these feelings? You know, I'm a father. This is my son. I'm supposed to be angry at, at, at this boy for, for what has happened, you know. And, and I wanted to hug him. Forgiveness wasn't even an issue. Channel 4 cameras are rolling when emotions from inside the courtroom spill out into the hallway after a jury finds Takoya Kreiner guilty of first-degree murder. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of first-degree murder as charged in the indictment. Kreiner's family so stricken with emotion, they can hardly stand. Brown's father, who is a Jacksonville Sheriff's officer, was in the courtroom every day. I'm just glad the week is over, glad it's over, and I can find some peace. I realized that that something was happening in, inside of me that I wasn't even aware of, you know. I know without a doubt, it was God. He goes off to prison, and wherever he ended up, I would always be mindful of him. I would always be, you know, praying for him. A couple of years passed, and I'd write a letter, and I'd throw it away. And I'd write a letter, you know, throw it away. You know, I'm wondering, you know, hey, what, what do I say? You know, do he even want to hear from me? After I think about three years, you know, I, I, I wrote him a letter, and I always let him know I was praying for him. Uh, always started off with, I hope things are as well as they can be. You know, I knew it was tough enough, you know, just being in there. And so at the end of the letter, I said, uh, I need a favor from you. I said, I, I miss my son, Ike Jr. You know, and I said, I'd like you to fill in for him till we all get to heaven. And I said, if, if not, you know, I understand. And so I, I hurry up and I mail the letter, you know, before I before I check it out again, and, you know, and not knowing what to expect. And it probably took about three weeks to a month. I get a letter back, and I'm actually riding the beat. And I got the letter, and it's sitting on the, the seat of the police car, and I'm scared to open it because <laughs> I don't know what it's going to say, you know. You know, I don't want to hear from you. Leave me alone. You know, curse me out. You know, I don't know what to think. And I, I pulled over on the corner of Kings Road and Myrtle Avenue, and I opened that letter. 
And that letter said, Dear Mr. Brown, I now know that God is real. It said, I told God that if you meant what you said, if you forgave me, if you really loved me, I told God that I wanted to hear from you. And I told God that if I heard from you, I would give my life to him. <laughs> Boy, I started crying. But there were tears of joy, you know. And he wrote the most beautiful letter, you know. And at the end of the letter, he said, uh, Mr. Brown, you asked me for a favor. You asked me would I fill in for, for Ike Jr. And he said, no way am I qualified. But if you have me, from this point on, you're my dad and I'm your son. Sequoia Crown and um, we're at Cross City Correctional Institution, Cross City, Florida. <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday. I never forget it. I was really desperate for 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 God to show me that He was still there with me and that I wasn't alone. I was like I was looking for a sign everywhere, anywhere. And I remember when the officer brought that mail to me. I didn't have to get through the first sentence to know the tone of the letter and what this was. And it was, it was God speaking through this beautiful man. It was, it was God. And it broke me down right there. I had no ifs, ands, or buts about it or doubts that, you know, God was real. I knew his love was real. I knew his mercy was real. I knew his salvation was real. It changed everything in my life. Jesus walks with me. He's there with me every single day. I don't walk around with a burden of, of a life sentence of being incarcerated. I walk around with the energy and spirit that I'm free because I know I am. Grace is something that is given to those who don't deserve it. Mr. Proud, you know, what he offered me, the love he gave me, the opportunity that he gave me to be a part of his family, to be his family, you know, it's nothing short of grace. That's what it looks like to love your enemy. But here's the, the deal. We have a Heavenly Father that loved us while we were enemy. But we wanted nothing to do with Him. It was our sin that nailed His Son to the cross. The difference is He sent His Son voluntarily for you and for me. Jesus came on His own volition to save you and for me to die on that cross so that we might be saved from our sins. But it didn't stop there. He wrote us a letter. He wrote us the Gospel. He presented that to you and to me, showing His grace, showing His mercy. Offering us forgiveness. Asking us if we want to be adopted by Him as His sons and daughters. 
This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Look at verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be, or better yet, you will prove to be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Verse 36, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So as we end this morning, the question is, have you received this mercy from God? Have you received the mercy of God through His Son's life, death, and resurrection on behalf of you? Have you received His mercy for the forgiveness of your sin? As Tekoi said, grace is a free gift given to those who don't deserve it. That's everyone in this room. Have you received the forgiveness of sin? Are you a child adopted son and daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords? If not, today is the day you can experience this kind of love, this kind of freedom by repenting of your sins and trusting in Him. And if you have, like many of us in here, we have received the good news of the Gospel, the invitation to be His sons and daughters. His mercy didn't stop when He saved us. His mercy continues daily. Millions upon millions of little acts of His mercy happen in your life and my life daily. Grace still is shed abroad over us daily. So our response is thankfulness. Our response is to love others who hate us so that it just might so happen that they would also become a son and daughter as we show them the love of Christ through the Gospel. So let's end this gathering by rejoicing in the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Gospel. We thank You that while we were sinners, You as our Heavenly Father exercised Your great love for us and sent Your Son Jesus to live and to die so that we might have the opportunity to be free and forgiven. So Lord, I pray that You by Your Spirit would move through this this building through each of our hearts today. Save those who do not know You so they can taste and experience this love. And as they experience this love that all of us have experienced, may we go back, go out through those doors, and love our enemies as Christ has loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.